Welcome to The Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Barrett Brooks. I'm the COO at ConvertKit. My co-host is our CEO, Nathan Berry. We're on a mission to help creators earn a living, and this is a show about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. It's Monday, October 5th. I'm Barrett Brooks. You already knew that. This is Nathan Barry. It is episode 81 of The Future Belongs to Creators. I did not put a title of this episode on YouTube, I'm realizing. However, if you're logging in from Twitter or somewhere else, just because you listen to us all the time, we're going to talk about how to build a successful coaching practice today. Coaching is a really common service offering for a lot of different creators out there. It can range from life coaching to business coaching to design coaching to leadership coaching and everything in between. I have run a relatively successful coaching practice in the past. I think it might be useful for you to hear some of my experience and maybe just share kind of some of the things it takes to build up a coaching practice to be both sustainable and income driving. But before we get into all of that, Nathan Barry, how are you doing? I'm good. I think objectively I'm green today, but for some reason I'm yellow and I can't quite figure out why. I just find it helpful to name the this there or the disconnect. And I'm like, no, I'm totally green, but why do I feel this way? Anyway, things are good. You know, one fun thing, this is actually a Barrett Brooks idea that I got to kick off today is we're doing an internal podcast where basically you get the life story of your ConvertKit teammates in an hour or so can be listened back to later. You know, just as the company's grown to 60 people, just about, there's people where you're like, I don't quite know you. Or I get on one-on-one and we're like, hey, let's get to know you. But if I listen to a podcast of your life story and then we got on one-on-one, then I'm like, oh, tell me about this. So I got to interview Charlie for an episode this morning. It was just super fun. So anyway, good idea, Barrett. I'm excited to see it come to life and listen to a bunch of other interviews that I don't participate in. So how about you? I realized that we needed something because we've grown the team to almost 60 people now. And as new teammates were joining a little bit more rapidly this year, I found myself telling the same stories to each person that joined. Right. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, of course. But I knew two things. One was uh, the more people we hired, the less enthusiastic I got about sharing my own story. And I knew that each person we hired was not getting to have that conversation with every person on the team. But as consumers of content, if you're a podcast listener, you regularly listen to 60 episodes of something, you know, it might take you a couple months or whatever, but if you get into something, I mean, yeah, I can really listen to a lot of episodes over a relatively short period of time. So I'm excited to see how it turns out. I think it's going to be a really cool way for people to get to know each other at scale and then be able to have like jumping off points for conversation from there. Anyways, we'll see. I am, I am, I woke up green. I uh, did a thing where I kind of, I like set my to-do list last night because I hadn't done that in a while. And I realized yeah. that I was having a lot of unfocused days recently. And I really broke it down. Like I tried to be as specific as possible with like actionable terms and very specific outcomes. And so I've had a good start to the day as a result of that, which has been really nice. I would say I have hints of yellow. We have jokers on Twitter and other places telling us how we're social justice warriors and that we are supporting a terrorist organization and other such things because we're encouraging people to vote. Is it bad that I've retweeted them? Uh, no. Honestly, these trolls need to stop or they're going to get served. Anyways... That's okay. People have their opinions. 
but there's a lot of logical fallacies being used to combat our efforts to encourage people to vote. We didn't even say who to vote for. We just said vote. And I will stand by that. You should vote. Also, Black Lives Matter. Get over it if you don't like it. I love all of you listeners because you've already listened to this from us. Oh, yes. We're going to ignore all of that, meaning all of the shenanigans around us supporting terrorists and everything. Yeah. To instead talk about running freelance slash coaching businesses, because I think that is much more serving of your needs as creators. So. Yeah, for sure. So I have not run a coaching business. You have. So I'd love to kick things off. I'll ask a series of questions, but I'd love to just start with maybe a high level of your experience with coaching on both sides. One as being mentored by coaches over time, you know, informal and formal, and then the coaching that you've done from there and how those two interplay, because I think they're very closely related for you. Yeah. Well, fundamentally speaking, I believe in several different types of relationships in terms of growth, personal growth. I believe in having a coach. I believe in having mentors. I believe in having teachers. And I believe in having peers who I can learn from. So those are all different kinds of relationships that I at least believe have helped me grow over time. So we've talked a lot about masterminds and things like that in terms of peer groups. Teachers, like we are serving in the role of teacher on this podcast for everyone Mm -hmm. who listens in. That would be kind of like the mass sharing of learnings and wisdom to people who listen in or read or whatever. Basically, any content creator is a teacher in some ways. Mentors are people who are a little bit more informal. They don't get paid. They do it kind of out of just a desire to pay it forward. Typically, you'll have like a mentor for different areas of your life. You might have like a spiritual mentor for your faith. You might have a business mentor. You might have someone who's like achieved the financial outcomes you want in life or you want to learn from all kinds of things there. But a coach, a coach is specifically paid to help you get better in very specific ways. So I think of it in a couple of different areas. One is avoiding your weaknesses, like avoiding situations where your weaknesses are accentuated. A second is understanding your strengths and really playing to those as corny as strengths and weaknesses sounds like that's truly what a coach is there to do is to accentuate your strengths, to avoid your weaknesses, but more importantly, to help you have strategic insight into how you should be spending your time and energy to make progress towards your goals. Regardless of what area of life a coach is in, it could be an athletic coach, could be a business coach, a leadership coach. There's all kinds of areas you can get coached in. It's usually towards some outcome. Mm-hmm. And I personally believe that it is best for a coaching relationship to be entered into specifically with the idea of achieving an outcome and then renewed once that outcome is achieved. There's a tendency to enter into long-term coaching relationships without any sense of what you're trying to achieve together. And I think that can sometimes lead to really challenging situations. So we can get into some of like why we do ongoing coaching and like how we manage that in our relationships. But I think those are the things that whether I'm a coach or being coached, they have in common is I believe every person can benefit from coaching in whatever area of their life they're trying to grow in because we can't see ourselves clearly. It's too hard. We have all of the emotions and everything else wrapped up in what we're doing every day. And a coach can help us see ourselves clearly so that we can reach our goals faster. So what are some of those things that you've coached on when you're running your coaching practice? My biggest area of focus was on business strategy. So y'all have probably heard from me a million times at this point. I started my career as a management consultant. I studied finance and accounting in school. I studied leadership development, both in the personal context and the organizational context. And so between that and then consulting and then having started my own business, I had this array of experiences that helped me understand how to build 
strategy effectively, kind of how to set out with a business model, with the content strategy, with whatever it is that you're trying to do, and then break that down into actionable pieces. And so that's one of my core skill sets is saying, here's the goal I want, and then saying what strategies will get me there, what tactics will lead to those strategies being successful. And many creators become creators because they're good at something other than business. Mm -hmm. They're good at hand lettering. They're good at music production. They're good at teaching in the classroom. And they have this, they have this creativity inside they're trying to get out. But the business piece may not come as naturally. Maybe they didn't study business. Maybe they studied design or material science or something like that. And so I was able to come alongside them and say, you don't need to know everything about business, but you do need to have clearly laid plans if you want to make progress quickly. And so that was the, the main area of focus. Nice. That makes sense. Okay. So basically let's imagine a creator, someone in our, in our community, they've got an audience of some kind, say somewhere between at least 500 subscribers, you know, so gotten on into that way. They're respected and they're put together and they're thinking, okay, I want to start a coaching practice, but hold on before we dive in, what are the mistakes that people make? What are the things that you've seen a bunch of times where you're like, all right, let me, <laughs> let me just put some good milestones and say, don't fall in these traps. Yeah. Okay. So the first, the two biggest ones are number one, thinking that a coaching certification equals coaching qualification. Mm -hmm. I do think that coaching certifications can be valuable. I think that there is value in the market from a, especially a signaling standpoint to say, I have gone through a curriculum. I have agreed to a set of standards and I am here to show you, look, I got my certificate. I am not a certified coach. I don't value certifications that much. I just feel like systems can have bad incentives. However, I do think if you've never coached before and you're just getting into it, it can make sense to get a certification. It does not equal a business coaching practice on the other end. It really doesn't. Yeah. And I don't think that will determine whether you have a successful business. So that's the first thing is I think people equate certification to I will be successful. The second thing is people don't really take a step back and ask, do I have the skills and experience to be an effective coach? And I view there basically being two ways to have built the experience to be an effective coach. One is You've done something like a lot of mentoring or a lot of free coaching. Maybe you mentor for a startup accelerator program or for university students or something like that, where you've built up really the core skill is asking good questions and being able to be present without just hollering advice at someone. So you've gained experience that way is one path. The other is you've done the thing someone else is setting out to do. That one is not a necessity, but I do think it makes you more effective. At a minimum, I think you have to have good experience either mentoring or coaching in a way that reflects the relationship you're going to have going forward. At best, you've done that and you have the experience doing what your clients are setting out to do. I think too many people just say, I want to make money. Coaching is a thing that's accessible. Let me start a business coaching. And they don't think about, well, what value can I provide to my customers? So I would say those are the two biggest. And then the third is, I think people grossly underestimate the degree to which most services clients and especially coaching clients come from sales, either through referrals or through direct mm -hmm. outreach. It's very rarely going to come directly from content. Content can support it, but you're going to have to support a content strategy with one-to-one -one conversations where eventually you make an ask of, do you need coaching services? My services cost this much. And people really shy away from that in ways that I wish they wouldn't. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I want to get into packaging and pricing and all that on coaching. But before we do that, as I built an audience, there got to be this point where people were saying, hey, can I pick your brain on these topics? And so then I was like, yeah, we're going to call. So then I got to the point where those requests were too much. So I was charging for that. I don't think either you or I believe that to be coaching. And so I'd love for you to dive into the difference there between like, I have people asking for my time and I'm like, sure, here hundreds of dollars to book a slot with me versus starting a coaching practice. What the difference is there? Yeah. I almost view the first one as like paid mentoring. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of sites out there now, coach.me or something like that. Yeah. Clarity.fm was an original one. Clarity.fm is a good example of this where you can basically just list a price for which you will spend time with someone. Yeah. In that situation, someone's truly just paying for access. You know, mm-hmm. they have money. You have a limited amount of time. Your time is worth money. They're willing to pay you to make the equation work out. In that situation, it's usually because you are overbooked and or you've got so many people requesting your time that there's no good filter for figuring out which ones to invest in. And so you put a dollar amount on it, which makes it worth it for everyone. That says nothing about your skill set in terms of coaching. It usually just says someone actually probably wants you to be their mentor, but because you don't have time for that many people, they'll pay you for it. And you've done a thing that they want to do. So The difference is that first thing that I mentioned before, which is you haven't intentionally worked to build the coaching skill set in a lot of cases when you're in that situation. And you didn't set out with the intention of building a coaching practice. And it is its own skill set. In addition to, in your case, like you were a web designer Mm -hmm. and you had built businesses at that point. So you had skills in as an entrepreneur and as a web designer, an app designer. And that's what people wanted to know from you, but you had not yet built those coaching skills. And so if you had wanted to build a coaching business, you certainly could have. You could have started with those early clients and been charging to build that skill, but you weren't. So I see that as the biggest difference there. So if you were to recommend a resource, you know, a book or something like that to start to make that transition from the difference of like, yeah, I'll get on a call and let you ask me questions versus I'm going to start a coaching practice to help you as the client achieve this outcome over time. What would you recommend? So there's a lot of books on coaching. I think that the best one that I've ever read is called Coactive Coaching, Changing Business, Transforming Lives. And so much of that book and the kind of theory behind it, there's a framework and they do training and everything like that. And that is probably the training I would do Mm -hmm. is about the fact that coaching is a mutual relationship. Like that's the only way it works is if the person being coached enters with intention and the coach enters with intention, and then it gives you kind of frameworks for thinking about what is my role situationally right now. And walks through some of when it's okay to shift a little bit out of just that question asker mindset, depending on the situation, and just runs through all the different scenarios you may run into and kind of how you can approach your relationship with a a client intentionally without basically bringing your own baggage or your own jaded opinions to the table in that process. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So I've decided to start a coaching practice. I'm starting to put it together. How should I think about the packaging? Not even the packaging, just the offer, right? What am I, how often am I doing it? What's the price? Any of those things? Yeah. So the first thing I would do, and a lot of certification programs require this, is I would do somewhere between 10 and 25 hours of free coaching. And there's two reasons for that. One is you don't even know if you like coaching. A lot of people who are entrepreneurs or who have done the thing that they're then transitioning into coaching, 
end up getting really frustrated by coaching because you are, it's like management in a way you're indirectly trying to get outcomes through the efforts of someone else. And if you're an action taker, someone who is like, I'm going to knock out my to-do list every day and I'm going to make progress on my goals. And you run into a client who's not at all like that, that can be really frustrating if you're not used to it and you're not sure of yourself in that role. So that's the first thing is finding out whether you actually like it enough to build a business Mm -hmm. around it. I would do that way before I ever committed to any kind of growing business. The second reason to do that is to get that early experience. You want to have confidence that you should be charging for your services and doing 10 to 25 hours certainly isn't going to like make you the most amazing coach in the world, but it'll allow you to get some of the kind of early mistakes out of the way with much lower risk for you. So then I would think about packaging in terms of need or problems you're going to solve. So for me, if I were starting over, if I were like reopening my coaching business today, I would have a couple of different offerings. One would be a half or full day strategy session. And I would think of this almost like like we do annual planning at ConvertKit, Nathan. It would be a guided, facilitated annual planning process where we're sitting down and building your strategy for a full year. And you know that you just need to point in the right direction and you'll follow through as the business owner. The second thing I would do is I would have a package that's a three or six month package, something like that. I have one goal and I need someone to come alongside me to achieve that goal for a fixed amount of time. And so let's say that's like weekly sessions for three months or every two week sessions for six months, depending on how big the goal is that I'm trying to help someone achieve. And that would be a fixed engagement. There would be a very specific outcome we're trying to drive towards. That would be something you could buy from me. And then the last one would be, I need a long-term coaching relationship where we can establish milestone after milestone that we're going to work towards together. And that would be more of that like mainstay client that I'm going to maintain for a very long time until and unless I decide you actually don't need me anymore. And I think you're going to be just fine without me. The reason I would divide it that way is sometimes people really only do just have a one day problem. They think they might need a coach on an ongoing Mm -hmm. basis, but they might just need clarity on what to do next. And one of the things I found in running a practice was we'd get a couple months in with some of the clients and they would just be telling me kind of what they checked off their list and they were chugging along just fine. We weren't changing anything. They were just, you know, kind of reporting on metrics. And it was like, okay, I'm happy to be here for you to share this, these wins with, and to let me know how you're doing. But I also don't want you spending hundreds of dollars every 30 minutes you spend with me just to give me an update. Right. That's kind of the packages. I would guess we'll get into pricing. Let's do that. Let's talk about how you recommend starting the pricing and what you would evolve it to over time. Yeah. So the first thing I do, number one, I would go back and listen to the article or the episode we did on minimum viable income. Mm-hmm. I would apply that same kind of thinking to what you're trying to make here. But just instead of traffic on all of that, I would think about number of clients, number of sessions, things like that, so that you understand what the revenue breakdown needs to be that you're earning from customers. Early on, I would recommend charging whatever feels comfortable to you. That's really bad advice long-term. And so the reason I'm giving it to you now is that I think you'll be more likely to do the sales work that you need to do if you trust the price that you're charging, which means you're going to undersell yourself. Without a doubt, I would bet a lot of money that 99% of you, unless your name is like Ty Lopez, are going to (laughs) undercharge whatever you do for your initial paying clients. That's okay. And I would get five to seven clients at that rate. I think I started at $75 a session or something like that. A session being an hour, a half hour? An hour was what I started at. 
Okay. And then over time, what I did and what I think works really well for most service providers is I just laddered my pricing as my bandwidth decreased. Mm -hmm. My first five clients came in at that $75 an hour rate. And then the sixth client, because I'm starting to get busy at that point is now at a hundred or 125 or 150. And what I did was I went 75, 150, 300, 500. And as I got more expensive, I did increase those sessions to where I'd be willing to go 60 to 90 minutes, depending on what the person needed on a given day. But I had that flexibility because I needed so many. I mean, you divide 500 by 75, that's like the equivalent of six or seven clients. Yeah. And so I just had more time to be flexible at that point. But the way I always knew to increase my prices is if I started to feel busy, the next client was a higher price. And then as people rolled off my roster, I was more willing to let that happen on the lower price clients so that I could gain new clients at my higher rate. And that just kept ratcheting probably over a period of about 18 months was all it took until I was charging $500 for 60 minute sessions and people were gladly paying me that. Yeah. The point you're making about believing and being comfortable in your price makes a lot of sense because I have to sell this as a coach through direct sales. Some will happen through the audience, the reputation they've built and all of that, but I am selling directly. And so if I'm like, hey, you should do coaching and it costs $200 an hour. And so I'm better off saying you should do coaching with me. It'll be $100 an hour and it will be some of the best money that you ever spent. Mm -hmm. And then over time, when I'm like, wow, I delivered a ton of value in that, then the next pitch is like, you should do this. It'll be $200 an hour and it'll be the best money you ever spent. As that belief comes, the price raises with it rather than jumping too far out ahead of it and potentially limiting yourself. Unless you already have tons of demand and you really want to push yourself there, then, then great. And if you have an existing audience, you know, to go back to your point, 500 people on an email list, if you have a good reputation and you are mm -hmm. a sound thinker and you have the skill set, that's plenty of people to build a coaching practice off of. But if you have several thousand, you are going to probably have demand right off the bat. And so I would just think about that. The other mistake that I'll highlight here that I didn't say before is a lot of people overestimate the amount of time they're able, they're going to be able to spend actually coaching. Mm. And so one thing to understand is that a 90 minute coaching session is probably between three and four and a half hours of work. There's prep work ahead of time to make sure you know what's going on in the person's business, that you've reached out to them, asked for an update ahead of time. You come in having read that, ready to go. You've got your questions and direction ready. And then afterwards, following up with notes, next meeting invite, things like that. So you're at least doubling the length of the actual active coaching time for what you're going to have to do in terms of follow-up work. And then you've got all of the sales and outreach and content creation and everything else that goes with marketing and selling your services, I would say that you should plan on being able to coach 15 hours a week. Hmm. Three hours a day would feel like a lot of coaching. Yeah. That's, that would be a max. Like my ideal would probably be coaching eight to 10 hours a week, which, you know, if you do the math on that 10 times $500 times four and a half weeks a month, like that's pretty healthy money. Yeah. It's not incredible money, but it's pretty healthy money. So anyways, don't overestimate the amount of time you can actually fill with coaching because that's not actually how this goes. Yeah. And I think that's a good point on the distinction between coaching and sort of this like impromptu book my time mentorship, right? That you're picking up the phone or hopping on a Zoom call for an hour and then you're walking away. Whereas coaching, part of the reason you're charging these higher amounts and doing it on a recurring basis is that you might have, say you're doing coaching calls every other week or something or monthly. In between, you might be asking for an update following up on their business, checking in on numbers, and then really coming prepared to help guide them in a solid direction. Yeah. And as you get towards full time on your coach, let's say you were filling eight to 10 hours every week. And so let's say that's five to eight clients a week, something like that. I would really immediately turn to hiring an assistant. 
all that system work of checking in 48 hours before the coaching call, following up with the notes document, scheduling the next call, all of that is just liable to get lost in the fray. At least it was for me. And I would find if I had an assistant, that would be well worth the money in a full-time business to be paying someone to doing that outreach for me. If you'd continued down that path of running the Barrett Brooks Consultancy and making that the full-time thing, what are some of those other things that you would have put in place beyond an assistant? I probably would have kept raising my prices for at least some Mm -hmm. period of time. I think today, if I were going to get back into it, I'd probably default to like two sessions a month per client and somewhere in the neighborhood of $1,500 to $2,500 a month per person. Okay. And so two to three times what I was charging before is probably what I'd do. So really quick, that's that's interesting. You made a different positioning change right there. You didn't position it based on per hour, per session, or anything that would tie it back to, well, hold on, an accountant makes this and you want that, or a, a lawyer, you know, anything like that. You went, so you're outcome focused and you tied it to a monthly number. Yeah. And so a difference there is I'm much more willing to spend monthly numbers to create outcomes in my business versus I might be thinking about, well, I just paid this designer $100 an hour. Is he 10 times as good as this designer? Right. Exactly. That's on a principle that I've always had with this, which I think other coaches should apply as well, which is I'm going to drive 10 times the value that I charge. Yeah. And so if I'm charging $2,500 a month, which is whatever that is, 30 grand a year, I want to know that I can drive $300,000 of value. And so part of that change is also knowing that I now have the experience to coach entrepreneurs with much larger businesses. Right. That can drive a lot more value through our work together. That would be the big change is I, I can work with more advanced entrepreneurs because I have much more experience today running companies and they can drive a lot more value as a result of our work together. That also gives me the ability to work with, again, fewer people, but more focused have the staffing that I would need. So I would absolutely have a full-time assistant. I would likely have physical space here in town. My Mm -hmm. assistant and I would show up every day. I want to be able to hand them things and them go off and do them or hand them the latest book I've read so they can annotate my notes so that I can be efficient with my writing time, whatever that might be. The third thing is I would create a some kind of online environment, whether it was Slack or some kind of community where clients can connect with me on an ongoing basis so that if there's like little check-ins in between, text is fine. I don't know if that's the best way to stay in touch. <laughs> But then also connecting them together. That was one thing I found was that the entrepreneurs I was working with had a really hard time finding peers. And if I had had a good way to connect them, they were all at about the same level when I was working with them. And I would expect that to be true as well of charging that kind of money for coaching, being able to connect them to one another on an opt-in basis on their side, Mm -hmm. of course, would be its own kind of value provider where they could meet each other and then potentially form masterminds from there. And then I think the last thing would be I would do guided mastermind retreats and weekends. That's something that we have a ton of experience with at this point between running the company and running our own retreats for our mastermind group. It's really hard to create a high impact weekend in terms of content, scheduling, food, like all the stuff that needs to go into it. But we have the experience where it would be relatively turnkey. I would hire a provider to be kind of the logistics person, find me the location, do the food, do all of that stuff. And then I would be facilitator for those weekends. And I would probably do those once a quarter. And those would be probably pretty high price tech, 10 grand or something like that to participate. Yeah, that makes sense. And so then how would you think about the role that coaching plays in a a product ecosystem? Right, we've talked about in the minimum viable income episode, if you have any coaching is that higher price. And then is it something where you think people should go all in on a coaching practice or should they, should it be complementary to other things in their business? I think in some ways, starting with coaching can really inform the products you should make. 
Mm-hmm. One thing I found was that I had very common conversations across most of my clients. They were all creators. They were all creators who were earning in their business at least $100,000 a year, but usually more than a quarter million a year in revenue. And so they all had very similar problems. It was things like annual planning. It was things like, when do I make my first hire? Who do I hire the first time? How do I go about doing that? It was things like managing my first employee or two. How do I manage effectively? How do I build systems around that? And so I would start taking those problems and picking them off and thinking, what's the best way to serve this need for people who can't afford my coaching? Is it a book? Is it a course? Is it a podcast? Is it something else? And I would leverage those common problems into those lower price products. I would probably have one that's like building a meaningful business or something like yeah. that. That would be kind of my intro level. Maybe it's a $19 book. Maybe it's free if I just want it to spread. And then I would have a series of courses that tackle those core problems that people have so they don't have to hire me to get access to the learning. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Coaching has at the same time, both an incredible reputation in the industry and sometimes a terrible reputation as far as people becoming coaches who shouldn't be, or like life coach sometimes can be a thing where you're like, oh, everybody's a life coach. Okay. What would you say, like who should not start a coaching practice? What are those things that you see where you're like, okay, you should go out and maybe this is too much of a leading question, but maybe you should go out and live some more life before you coach other people on it. I think it really goes back to, can you provide value, real value to people? That's the first thing. The second thing is operating on a principle of kind of first do no harm. Mm-hmm. I think if you're looking to coaching, there are a couple of reasons that you might be looking to coaching that are probably bad reasons to get started. First one is I need money. Right. That's one of the worst places to start from in starting a coaching practice. And I think that's how we end up with a lot of not very good coaches. The second is I have a need that I'm trying to fill in my own personality, my own life, something like that. I think it should come from a place of here's what I have to give, not here's what I need. If you need something out of this relationship, I think it's probably likely to become unhealthy and or you're doing it for reasons that are more for you than for your clients. Counseling for yourself might be the better outlet for that. Exactly, exactly. Those would be the two biggest I think that people really get into is they're doing it for the money or just for the money rather, or they're trying to like project their way of being in the world onto other people. Right. And then I think an indicator of whether you are effective as a coach, I think the best coaching practices grow through referrals and they grow (laughs) beyond the capacity of the original coach through referrals only. Once you get that early momentum and you've got your client roster full at the price that makes you know sense for sustainability for you, I found that I had really more referrals than I could do anything with. Like I didn't have capacity to work with that many people. If you're not getting referrals, it might be because you're not asking. So ask for sure. And if you're asking and you're not getting referrals, it might be a sign that you're not doing a very good job of delivering value to people. From a life coaching standpoint, I think that life coaching and therapy slash counseling have a lot in common. Mm -hmm. My biggest worry in those situations is that life coaching can very quickly turn therapeutic, very quickly become, oh, you have these, and, and a lot of coaching in general is like, I have these elements of baggage or trauma or stress that are influencing my life that are deeply rooted to things in my past. Right. Like really, really, really encourage people to know the line between what you're, what you have the capacity and training to handle and what needs a licensed professional who is a mental health practitioner to work with clients on. If you're getting deep into that stuff and you're not licensed, I think you've got a lot of potential to do harm going back to that whole principle. 
Yeah, that makes sense. The last question that I had on my list is as you're looking to go get more clients, you know, we talked about referrals. Let's say we've got those first three clients. And so we've got, that was the initial momentum that got us back. Oh, okay. I should start coaching to fill this demand. But beyond referrals, how would you grow from there to say, get to the next four or five beyond the first three? Yeah. The first thing I would do is I would start a podcast. It would be an interview podcast and I would interview people like my clients. Hmm. It's a very effective way. It's probably the most effective way I've found for building new relationships with people who are busy. So I would do that. That would build your network. Second thing I would do is try and do an effective job of list building, email list building around that podcast so that you've, you're gathering an audience of people who are interested in the kind of people who are your clients. Like tends to attract like. I would make a case study of each individual client that you have. So from the time you started working with them to six months in or 12 months in, or if it's a one-day project, what was the goal? It's a typical case study structure. Overview. What was the situation? Outcome that they were looking for. What was the outcome they were trying to provide? Methods. What were the methods you used to help them get there? Results. What were the results that you helped them achieve? And I would have you know three to five one-pagers like that that I could send to people that I'm in conversation with. I would prospect. What that looks like is... LinkedIn research, cold outreach. I would send, depending on how much you're trying to grow your business, for every client you're trying to land, I would probably send between 15 and 20 emails. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to get five new clients over the next three months, I would send 15 to 20 emails every other week or something like that in terms of cold outreach and then have a follow-up one time. I would tell people in that initial email, I'm going to follow up on this date. If I don't hear from you at that Mm -hmm. point, I'll assume you're not interested. So you get that one follow-up in there. And then the last thing I would do is I would ask for referrals both from current clients, but also from people in your personal or professional network who are like the people you would serve. So no one in our mastermind, for example, was ever a coaching client of mine, but all of them knew people who would have been good coaching clients. And so I would go to them and I would ask for who are the names of people that would be a good fit for my practice. They're not willing to give you names. That might be another good sign that you may need to grow more as a coach. And if they are, I always give the out of, you don't have to do the introduction if you don't want to. I can reach out to them without mentioning you. Right. But best would always be a warm introduction, I think. Yeah, that sounds good. Anything you want to add in that we didn't cover or did we get it all? I guess I'll just round out with like, I do think coaching can be a really powerful practice, Mm -hmm. especially in business contexts or in contexts where there's very clear personal and professional transformation that is attempting to happen. I think the two most clear cut areas of life where that works are in fitness and in business. There are all kinds of subsets of business. There's things like writing coaches, yeah. you know, business strategy or leadership. I think all those things can be effective. Once you start getting outside of that into things like general life coaching, areas that touch on therapy and counseling, I would I would be a little more wary. But I think within context where there are clear outcomes that can be driven and where people are very clearly motivated to improve their lives, like I think coaching can be a really awesome tool. And if you focus on getting better at it, you both serve your clients and you serve the industry of coaching by being a good representative for it. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Thanks for sharing your expertise there. Um, This is a point where I could use some transition music. Creator of the day. Uh, My creator of the day is a hand lettering artist named Ian Bernard, and uh, he does all kinds of great stuff. He's done it for a huge range of clients. I don't know if we dive in on some of these 
lettering and artwork for a bunch of different ads. He's got Skillshare courses. He's just this creator who is doing the whole range. And so like, here's a detailed course. I mean, look at this one I'm doing 3D lettering, which is wild. I love following him on Instagram, but he also has a bunch of other resources that he shares. So reasons I like him, one, he's a super talented artist. Two, he's got the whole range of products. And then three, he's selling all the byproducts that he makes. So if he goes and makes a tool that helps him, you know, like this letter grid builder, something that he uses all the time, he's like, well, I might as well sell it. So he's going to make it easier for all these other creators following along. Love it. My creator and resources of the day are all tied as they often are. Let's see. I'll call my creator, Jerry. We've mentioned Jerry before. Jerry Colonna is one of the best models for good coaching. I think there is in the world. He's got this coaching skill set. He's got the background as an investor and an entrepreneur. He's got all the ingredients that add up to good coaching. And then he's built a team of people around him who also have that really high quality experience. Their organization is called Reboot, who we hire as our coaches. They do especially work with startup kind of technology entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurs of all stripes, resources from them. Their podcast, the Reboot podcast is fantastic. If you're looking to grow as an entrepreneur, which I think many people who are creators are looking to grow that business side of things, the Reboot team takes a really kind of like human first approach to that. Yes, it's about business, growing your business and being you know successful, quote unquote, but as much as anything, it's about growing as a person. And then secondly would be Jerry's book, Reboot. I think it's one of the most emotionally in-touch, self-aware books on entrepreneurship and just the journey of growing as a person and, and an entrepreneur that I've ever read. So I think you'll really enjoy both the podcast and that book if you are into this kind of topic. Sounds good. Well, I think by now, if people have been listening to us, they're into this kind of topic. So that's good. I'm a huge fan of Reboot. We're coming up on almost a year of coaching. Is that right? Yeah. Got a lot out of that. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back on Friday for a Q&A episode. So drop your questions on Twitter in advance and we will talk to you all then. Thanks for listening to The Future Belongs to Creators. We're the makers of ConvertKit, where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. To start building your audience with a landing page and to send emails up to 500 subscribers for free, go to landingpage.new. That's landingpage.new to get started with the free ConvertKit account today. We'll see you next time. Thank you.